Hi, I'm Steve, the host of the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. This is normally the point where our podcast theme comes in with the resonant voice of my good friend Willie Jones, who also happens to be an educator. For the next three weeks, we're going to bring back six of our best podcast episodes. Since you're smart, you noticed that we're going to release two episodes every week. We'll be releasing an episode on Thursday, as usual, but we'll also be releasing one every Monday. Here's a taste of what you'll hear today. I think we need to be honest with yeah. each other about the status of education, and I think we need to talk honestly about uh, the question we love to ask, you know, what is the purpose of an education, and then follow that up with how do we do we that retake in, it. in this context. We need to retake it. We need, like, a movement. We need, you know, pitchforks and torches, and we need to storm <laughs> the castle and tell Pearson and tell legislatures, um, you know, give it back. It's ours. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, and we want to own it again. Uh, and, and get it off, you know, go focus your spotlight on some other thing and leave us to do our thing. We're professionals. We know what we're doing. Linda certainly doesn't pull any punches. I'll now return you to the original episode and the wisdom of Dr. Linda Polin. Do you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How can you learn secrets directly from a great inventor? How do we take back education from the dark forces of the universe? How can we help students become who they are meant to be? Stay tuned. On the podcast today, we're going to reveal the answers to these and other questions. Today, Linda Polin and I will talk about taking back education from the forces that have corrupted it. Some of her answers may surprise you. We're here with uh, Linda Polin from Pepperdine University, and I'm going to uh, ask Linda to tell us a little bit about herself. All right. I am a professor of learning and technology at Pepperdine. I run the doctoral program that we have here, and it's now in its 20th year, so we've been doing it for 20 years. It's a hybrid program, partially online, partially face-to-face. Um, we also have a master's, and it is in learning technologies. It's an applied program. I come from the humanities. Uh, <laughs> we were discussing earlier about English majors. I was an English major, and it was pre-computers, and um, I just sort of fell into this stuff, and it became a fascination. And in the early days, when shortly after the Apple giveaway in 83 to schools here in California, the state colleges were looking for people who could step up and, and teach classes. And I happened to have had a little tiny bit of background on technology in a grant I was doing. Had a bit net address, you know, did my dissertation at WordStar on <laughs> punch cards. Um, so I got, I got these jobs and then the rest was history. I just sort of fell into this and thought, this stuff's cool. And having a kid, of course, keeps you current. You get to find out what all the cool toys are. And it's just, it's just a hobby out of control, basically. So what's the unique perspective that the uh, English background brings to your technology 
focus now? Oh, probably a couple of things. The first is the obvious, you know, two cultures issue of, you know, is technology something that's really oriented towards STEM and, and hard sciences and people who do coding and um, people who can't do math are going to have trouble or um, sometimes you see humanities people that allegedly, I, I say allegedly, are reluctant. Um, that, plus I also tend to be more conceptually oriented and, and be interested in sort of the big ideas around technology, I think. so. But I'll tell you, when we first started our master's program, the people who were the quickest to jump on board and get involved were, in fact, the humanities people. Interesting. Um, the last, and then the math and science people, the last people who sort of got in the game were the history people, and I can totally see why that would be, right? Because, you know, history, like holding on to the past. You like the past. Interesting. A lot of change. I knew a history major. I don't think he's like that at all. But he's, prob <laughs> he's probably an unusual. He's probably, he, well, he doesn't, you know, he, he fits way over on the other side of the spectrum. And I don't majors. want to classify an entire <laughs> group of people. I'm not actually sure know. I know very many history people other than him. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. So one of the, que so we're going to narrow our way down to, through a couple of questions okay. here. But one of the first ones that I uh, like to spring on people is when, we live in a, in a time when we can hop on the internet and we can get an answer from Google or Wikipedia and effectively look like we raise our IQ by you know 20 points or so. In that type of environment, what, what does it mean to be educated? Hmm. Okay. Well, I think it's important to differentiate information from knowledge and maybe even knowledge from wisdom. Um, and I think it's easy for, easier for people to get information. And I think the question about education becomes problematic and confusing for people if they equate education with information. So if, if school is about getting information, you know, learning this fact, learning that procedure, um, and you can find those things out online, then yeah, school looks hugely irrelevant or unnecessary. But if school is a place where you talk about or engage with using that material or, or looking it up for some purpose that you need help accomplishing, um, then I think there's a place for education. So I see education as sort of moving you off of information through knowledge, which might be sort of the more abstract ideas, into wisdom, which is sort of the abstract ideas that you've lived through and tested and have learned from and know a little bit better about. So I, I think the ideal setup for education is to move you through those stages. So we, we briefly touched on uh, the job market for a little bit, and yeah. that is that is kind of used as a, a a strong motivator for education. In fact, I sort of heard that last night in one of the discussions we had with someone uh, remarked that you know part of the purpose of an education is to feel yeah. uh, how did she put it to f to feel a sense of accomplishment after you're after you're done and then to apply that to you know finding a job or something like that. that what is the relationship between education and the job market do you think right now? Oh, well I think it's especially important now because jobs are just moving all over the place and changing and it becomes less about the skill set you bring in the door that's specific to the job and more about your ability to learn on the job um, and bring skills that make you um, a good communicator, someone who understands the social, political, technological milieu, someone who's got a critical perspective 
doesn't just drink the Kool-Aid every time you know something new comes along. Um, so there's a there's a lot of sophisticated thinking, um, and that's where I think an education can help out. I like to think you know in the, in the best setting, but there is this tendency to look at, at school in terms of what it gets you for Monday, you know, and I think that's partly that that schooling's become very political. Partly it's publicly funded for the lar for the most part. We had a crisis with jobs, and it's always easy to kick education. We're just like everybody's scapegoat. Um, and you know, what are you doing for jobs? And and that sort of makes me. That sort of is why I get a little nervous with all the STEM stuff, um, because it's it, STEM alone isn't going to get us where we need to go. We need to have some thoughtful STEM. And we need to have some humanitarian perspectives on on our STEM efforts. Well, I I definitely come from a STEM background and uh, certainly looking at uh, the idea of starting a business or the idea of fitting into a workplace, there's so much about understanding people yeah. that we don't get told in STEM subjects. I mean my classical background is physics and so I went through and had a lot of you know, math classes, physics classes had the fortune early on to actually have a minor in education so I had to had to go through That's some psychology classes and a few other things and so I feel like I have a little a little more rounded view although it isn't my first natural language to understand people so I think I agree with that that it's that there's certainly a lot more ins instructions not the way where we need to inform ourselves a little better on the stem side if and not to get so stuck on STEM that we don't see the other the other pieces there. You know, I had one class, I think a class on innovation, where I made them listen to Kennedy's original We're Going to the Moon speech. Um, because if you think about it, it you could take a, the perspective that that was launching a huge STEM effort. You know, there was a lot of science, technology, and engineering involved in getting us there. But the only reason that sucker got off the ground was because people just fell in love with that idea. He sold a vision, um, you know, it was, it was like a thing people got into, you know. I can remember being herded into the uh, auditorium to watch on TV the launch of, I'm going to reveal my age now, um, <laughs> Alan Shepard, which was oh, wow. like just a little blooper. But, you know, I mean, it was like a big deal. We left the planet's surface. And that really captured people's imagination, and there was a lot of engagement around that. Nobody's offering us that right now. I don't feel it in the dialogue about STEM. No, and that's unfortunate because there, there are certainly a lot of um, passionate technology people out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly the Google guys and the Facebook guys have a very specific vision, not all of which has to do with technology. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with how we interact and how we... Um, I mean, Google has a, a, a reputation as being a company that is fun to work for, for instance. And you can't do that without at least un, without understanding people at least a little bit. Um, so when it comes to education, maybe a different question to ask is, so I'm a parent or I'm a, an educator looking for a job or looking for a place to relocate. How do I think? think about choosing education. As a I, career? No, not necessarily as a career. Um, so from a, from a student's perspective, it, 
do I think carefully about the local school system before I oh. just plot my kids in? Do I think hard, you know, as an educator before just jumping uh, in to teach in a particular system? Is is that a question I should think hard about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that you can't answer it um, because it's education's this horrible onion, you know. So you pick a school district that's good, but it's got bad parts, and you pick a school that's that's good. But not all the teachers are equivalently tuned in to what you're looking for. So it's sort of, at some level, it's sort of not possible to second guess that. But you can have a critical eye. You can be that annoying parent that, that goes in and asks the hard questions. <laughs> I used to write notes. I would go to back to school night and tell the teachers, look, I work in education, all right? So I'm going to be sending you notes. You can throw them out or not. You know, you don't have to, res- I'm just sharing my thoughts with you and I think if more parents did that you know maybe teachers sort of tune into that but it also would help the parents know what's going on and make them more connected um, as far as a uh, profession and you may want to edit this out but um, <laughs> <laughs> when my daughter went to college I said you can do anything but education don't be an ed major don't go into education um, it's just so constrained right now it's just so under the political gun and under the corporate gun, uh, it's just a very difficult profession at the moment. Well, I'm, I'm probably not going to edit that out. Oh. Most, most, mostly because I want to start a conversation. I think we need to be honest with yeah. each other about the status of education, and I think we need to talk honestly about uh, the question we love to ask. You know, what is the purpose of an education, and then follow that up with how do we. Do we retake in, it in this context. We need to retake it. We need like a movement. We need you know pitchforks and torches, and we need to storm <laughs> the castle and tell Pearson and tell legislatures, um, you know, give it back. It's ours. You guys don't know what you're talking about, um, and we want to own it again. Uh, and and get it off. You know, go focus your spotlight on some other thing and leave us to do our thing. We're professionals. We know what we're doing. I think that would help a lot. Yeah, because I, I, well, and I've heard that from a couple of people, and as a, as a, you, you see a lot of teachers coming through. How often do you get the, that teacher that doesn't get treated as a professional in their organization? Well, this is a self-selected group. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's probably not representative. I, but even there, even there, you get people who, um, well, the very fact that they don't have internet access to the things they need to get to at their school site because the district has decided what's dangerous and what's not and what their capability as an instructor is to safeguard or not even safeguard you can't safeguard kids but you can keep, you can inform them and make them intelligent consumers of whatever they run into um, you know the very fact that they're they're treated like children I mean that's something you do to a child you know you lock up the sharp knives that's kind of you know and I get people coming in from districts where you know well we can't get to Skype well we can't get to Minecraft you know oh come on Minecraft and I understand there's port reasons why and blah, 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 but that's, there's a disconnect between IT and uh, the teaching profession in school districts. There's a disconnect at the university between IT and the people who are doing the instruction. So there's some, some 
places where we don't have good collaborative engagement. So you, you've laid a really good fa foundation for this, um, and I don't even hardly have to say it. This is a conversation, it's an ongoing conversation, and it's, it could use a little tinkering and, some mm -hmm. s and a lot of work. Um, but in that, we want to continue to ask those who you know, are influencing this conversation a central question, and we'll start off with this, what is the purpose of an education? <laughs> Well, I have a point of view, all right? This is not truth. This is Linda's point of view. Um, I think the purpose of an education is to learn to engage deeply with the world you live in. I think that you can acquire some habits of mind, some skill sets, some background basic knowledge that enables you to be a more powerful person in your own life. And I think that's what an education is about. I'm kind of Freerian in that perspective. I think it's an agency question. I, I like that. We we get we get we get lots of lots of answers to that. Um, but I always like that particular one because it brings it back to us. You know, and the idea of learning how to learn and why that might be important because it is. I wish we told people personal. that though. We don't tell kids that. Why, why why don't we tell people that? That's a really good question. Why don't we tell people that? Do we just because forget? then we lose control of them. Because once you tell people you're in this in order to be a more powerful you, well then people get ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah? Okay, well here's what I want to do. And you know, someone who's in charge of a box of 32 kids might not need 32 independent spirits or might feel like they can't handle 32 independent spirits. Or a thousand um, or, or fifteen Yeah, or if you're at the high school, yeah, <laughs> or on and on and on. So, you know, school in some ways is, is a lot about controlling, controlling groups of people, controlling curriculum, you know, I mean, we have, it's almost like, I'm, oh, I'm going to say this, it's almost like a prison system and there's like bell schedules and we move it in, in chunks and, you know, we take roll and, you know, it's like bed check, you know. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's a very controlled environment and there's good reasons for it. I'm not, you know, I don't think we can just let go of everything, but um, there, the, the problem is we don't stop to negotiate those differences when we hit them. We just bang into each other over and over and over. We don't sit down and say, let's talk with IT about that issue around access, or let's talk with uh, other teachers about maybe opening up the schedule so we're not doing these compartmentalized units. Um, we, we're not good at negotiating to a better space. So dialogue is really actually a good thing to start with. That's an interesting I had never thought of it like that before, but we're the education system. We should know better than that. Well, yeah, nose <laughs> on your face. <laughs> but, you know, it's a system, so you can't just focus on one piece because all the other pieces move when you move the one system. So you've got to get everybody together. And, you know, everybody's got good reasons for what they do. IT's got good reasons. Yeah. So I wanted to, to come back to the, the purpose of an education because the question we like to follow up with on that one is how do we how do we do this in a practical way? So, in mm -hmm. in in your view, the the idea of you know uh, this being about agency and about you know personally you know actu actualizing in some way, how do we create an education system or I don't know maybe, maybe system is too big yeah. in the classroom and and the day to day. How do we do that? Because that's where it really matters is in the in the day to day classroom. That's when we're in contact with the students. How do we create an environment that 
the foster step. Well, uh, <laughs> now, now I get to make money with the, with the golden answer. <laughs> um, I think the first step is to re-empower teachers. Um, to give, we had this conversation in class a little while ago, and um, someone was saying, "Well, you know, if I if I feel comfortable not knowing, if I feel comfortable learning with the students, if I feel comfortable going off the script, you know, where it's not." It's Friday at 10 o'clock, so we're all on page 20 of the history book. Um, you know, if, if we can return some of that freedom to the teachers and we give them the ability to do what they, what they should know how to do and not then change the game on them later. Go, yeah, go, go experiment and play. But, oh, by the way, in June, if your kids don't move up this many points on the, on the test, then I have no interest in what you've done you're going back to the old way so there's you have to sort of re-empower the teachers to do what they can do I trust that that good teachers know what they're doing and can and can find ways to if you'll pardon the expression accomplish the curriculum um, just by doing interesting things that and by tuning into kids um, I used to do this thing where I would make people teachers make a list of you know what are the 10 things that your average whatever grader is thinking about on a regular basis you know skateboards girls whatever um, and then 10 things you want to teach and then we would make little spinners and you would spin them until you got the two two things lined up and you'd say all right skateboards and uh, the Civil War make a connection <laughs> <laughs> think about it uh, you know how could that you know because I remember as a kid being totally stunned by the fact that there were um, uh, observation balloons in the Civil War. I was like, wow, those things were like co-present? I, I thought that was a different world of science. I didn't know there were submarines? What a trip. I thought that was the old days, you know. So there's ways in which you can probably connect up with students' interests and still manage your curriculum. All right, so, so we have trust. Trust. Anything else in accomplishing that goal of self-actualization in the classroom? Um, opportunity. you got to have some more interesting things in there. Opportunity within the classroom or yeah. opportunity after the classroom? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Expand on that a little bit. Um, well, historically, we always put the good stuff at home. You know, it's it's you, you sit in class to get the info, and then you go home and try things. And obviously, what you should be doing is trying things in the classroom and getting the information at home, where you probably have better internet access anyway, um, or at the library, where it's not filtered, hopefully. Yeah, more more sort of moving around, getting up, doing things, trying things out, experimenting, opportunities to muck around. That would be really wonderful in school um, because then when you run into a problem you're with somebody you know when you have homework issues the kids at home with mom and dad who may or may not deign to engage with them around algebra you know you're kind of stuck yeah you can get on Skype and ask somebody what the answer was but they're not going to explain it to you that well necessarily so if you're in the classroom so you've got my understanding is that most of us who teach live for teachable moments. That moment where the, the person really needs to know and you actually can help them figure it out and it's at the same moment. Um, you need more of those. So you want to uh, create space for that to happen. So is that, do you think that involves tools? Does that involve environments? Does it involve experiences? What? Probably all of that, yeah. Um, but I, 
I'm kind of big on making tools to make things, not just having tools to make things. I think it's really, I think an important part of subject matter is in the tools of the subject matter. So one of the things that's always bugged me about history, I'm going to pick on history, I'll, I'll do the whole thing, um, is that um, it always comes to you as a prepackaged essay. You know, when you get a history text, somebody's figured out what's important, what the leading causes of this were, what treaty was, you know, it's all there. And you just have to, you're supposed to, your job is to, like, take that in. But if you talk to historians, they, they work in primary source documents. And you may get a snippet in a sidebar in a textbook, but you're not, no one's handing you a sheaf of letters and saying, sheaf of letters and saying, you know, so what did this guy think? Was he, was he an abolitionist or not? And how do you know? You know, they're not doing history. Um, and I think that'd be super cool to let people do. You know, it'd be cool to walk into a classroom and say, well, kids, this year in sixth grade, we're going to be writing a textbook about the Civil War. That might change how we think about subjects. Instead of handing out the answers, we talk about what does it mean to be a whatever it is. What constitutes evidence? What is truth? How does this subject area think about content? You know, if we were in science class, instead of handing me a beaker, say, well, how, how are we going to boil this stuff up? We're going to need to make some stuff. If, you know, first half of the year, we're going to make stuff. And then we're going to use that stuff to do things. Interesting, because I never thought about history. Sorry, I'm still stuck on the history thing. <laughs> because usually in history, it's what we do is we remember a bunch of facts. And I, I'm not, not against the idea of setting up a timeline where they're kind of like major hinging events that right. we use as a, you know, as a hook to hang things. But I wonder if we might not get a different view of history if instead of taking the book as the absolute truth about what happened in history, we did look at primary documents and asked, well, what do I think happened based on the evidence that I see? I'd never thought of history like that. Or you that. could take now. You could say, well, let's write the book for 50 years from now about what's going on in the Ukraine. What do we need? That's an interesting What's going to constitute idea. evidence? What events seem to be worth noting at this point in time and why? How do you decide what's an important event? And are we being American in our perspective? Do we need to maybe go on the Internet and see what <laughs> Spain thinks? Um, you know, so. Yeah, important is pretty subjective. I mean, yes. it depends on it yes. depends on who you are as to where yes. what important equals. Absolutely. And, it might, and history might also be able to tell you what's important because if you trace up and, you know, something happened and then like down the road, you don't see any evidence that that did anything. Well, maybe it's not important. That's a great conversation to have. And if I were running a business, I would want someone who could think about things that way. No, I think I, I think I agree with you. All right, so we have truth and we have opportunities. Is there anything else that we would add to this self-actualization in the classroom? How do we do that in a practical well, way? Well, we had trust. We had trust. Not not truth. Truth. Trust. Oh, did I say truth? I'm sorry. Trust. Um, yes, trust. Because we have to have a lot of iteration. I'm big on iteration, but that's because I'm an English major. Trust and opportunity and iteration. I agree with the iteration. The iteration is something that I'm very often. I don't even with. like to call stuff failure. It's iteration. And we're not good at iteration in schools. You know, it's usually a one-shot deal. You do a paper, you get a grade. Yeah, there's not a lot of opportunity to try it again. I have a couple of times told people if they weren't happy with their grades, they could do it again. Um, the problem is that all the people who didn't do well choose not to redo it generally, <laughs> and the people who got an A-minus 
you know, want to try and get the A. And I'm just so not a grade grubber. It's really hard for me to identify with that. But but the idea, but, but we haven't trained people in iteration. We haven't gotten them that habit of mind that you do stuff more than once. You know, you fix it. It's got problems. And in education in particular, I think as a field, we have a tendency to try something once and if it doesn't work, throw it out. And, you know, iPads and LA Unified is a great example. It's going to be a long time before that gets to sh see the light of day again. So have we overemphasized efficiency in education somehow? I don't know I'm, if I'm it's not, efficiency. There's sort of constraints around time. You know, we have to, we always, we're always racing to get somewhere. You know, we have to get to June and we have things we have to do to get to June or I have to get to the end of the semester and I've got so much I got to cover. You know, do I have time to stop and say, you know, we really need to spend some time on this because we're all confused or we really need to revisit this or what do you think after you've done it or if you had to do it again? We Time is a luxury in education, unfortunately. There's this weird Do, do we create thing. some of that, though, by yes. trying to shove content in instead of, instead of asking about the learning? I think it's historical. I think it's sociocultural. You know, schools have been this way for a really long time. A semester has been a semester for a really long time. I don't know. That, how long has a semester been a semester? I don't know I the don't answer know, to that. But I'm old, and it was there when I was a kid. So... <laughs> but I mean, it's hard to break, you know, so it's a pattern and, and then, you know, I'm a systems thinker. So, you know, that pattern, a lot of stuff's been built on that pattern. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of employment and, and maintenance and reporting and it's just like, it's this huge system. So if you want to break that, you know, you've got a lot, all these ripples down the road, but, but time is a real gift in education. And when you look at how people learn outside of school, um, they pretty much have a lot of leisure time to do it. No one says you better be an in, in intermediate skier by next ski season or you're screwed, bro. We'll have to, you know, you'll be in <laughs> beginner forever. You know, you'll do remedial skiing. So, and, and you know, and pros take lessons. Um, we know that pro athletes have mentors and lessons. So, but, but we don't do a lot of iteration in education. We're on this conveyor belt. So the last thing, so we've got... Trust, opportunity, time, and I would add reflection, and that's sort of reflection. related to time. Um, to stop and think about things. Uh, one of the, and I'm guilty of it myself, when here even in our doctoral program, when they get to the capstone, which is a big synthesis project, and it's the first time that they've had to really think across all the stuff and step back and go, well, what do I know? <laughs> what have I learned? Oh, that's a thing. I know that, and that's a thing to know. And I can say I know that thing. We don't we don't let people do that, and that's kind of good because that's part of agency too. Is sort of to have power, you have to know what your powers are. You know, I can be invisible. If you don't know, you can be invisible. It doesn't do you any good. So, so we need reflection time where people can sort of sit back and go, Yeah, I know that. I know that thing. I've mastered that thing. I think those are the four. I would go with those four. There's probably more, but... I like it. So I'm just going to recap. So we asked about the purpose of education, and you indicated that that would... You thought that had a lot to do with agency and about um, self-actualization, about knowing yourself and being, really truly being yourself. And then and I asked how we might accomplish that. And you indicated that, that we need we need trust, particularly trust of the teachers, probably also trust of the students. Mm -hmm. 
um, we need opportunities for the students um, in the classroom, outside the classroom. To go off-road? Yeah, to go off-road, to try stuff. And, you know, that kind of leads right into the third one, which was um, time to iterate. You know, try it, try it again, um, try it a different way. Um, and then, lastly, to to reflect on all of that and see what patterns you see emerging. And before we started the conversation, we were talking a little bit about self-reflection. You know, who am I supposed to be when I grow up? Hmm. And but we can't really even answer those questions later in life unless we have those skills. You know, and and, and you know, I, I we think don't I, even ask them. I think I sort of agree that maybe you know maybe the you know the middle school high school student isn't ready to truly answer those questions, but I think they should have the skills. To well, they can ask them for well, now. Once they have the data, but you know, and they'll continue to get data. But if they don't know how to, you know, if they don't know how to, you know, trust themselves, trust others, you know, trust, um, you know, maybe mentors. Um, if they don't, if they aren't trusted themselves, and they don't have that sense of confidence of being mm -hmm. trusted, uh, if they don't have opportunities mm -hmm. to try things, you know, to have a, a large enough range to know what that might be, and then if they don't take the time to tinker out a little further to see if maybe they missed something, or maybe you know, maybe they maybe they try it, you know, they need to try it two or three times before they, you know, get it, and then once they get it, they realize they love it, and this is the best thing in the universe, and they just never knew they were good at it, um, you know, and then time to, you know, and then take the time to sit and reflect back about that. No, those are those are good. Those are good. I'm glad we had a chance to, to talk about that. That clarifies some things for me. I like that. <laughs> well, you know, it's a perfect world scenario, you know, blue sky. <laughs> but 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 I you know, if we can get a stronger sense in the professional educational community from daycare worker up to president of a university. And we can get a sense of taking back the field from other entities that have, we've allowed to encroach um, with agendas that are counterproductive to the things we want to do. You know, if we could all get our act together, I think that would be a very important first step. I think I agree. Well, we could keep going on. I yeah. have about a thousand questions I'd like to ask you at this point. That's always my problem in these interviews is I get here and I realize that there's a bunch more I need to ask. But thank you for taking a few minutes and well, answering some questions. Good questions. That was one of my favorite episodes. Dr. Linda Poland is a rock star educator and not your run-of-the-mill boring college professor. She keeps threatening to retire, but there are many good teachers out there who sat in her classroom to learn the true art of teaching. Unfortunately, not all classrooms are created equal. If you are a little dissatisfied with the education of your teenager, you need to know about the Resonance Innovation Fellowship. This next year, we'll be taking a select group of 10 to 15 teens on a journey of self-discovery, excellence with integrity, and innovation leadership. This is not a club, a social gathering, or homework tutoring. The students in the Resonance Innovation Fellowship will be on a quest to find impact and world change through the backdrop of technology. To find out more, email me at stevecurdy at ttinvent.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-K-U-R-T-I at T-T-I-N-V-E-N-T dot com. Don't wonder about the future. Email us and we'll help you create it.